kind of interesting. I was sitting there thinking um, as Wes and Jonathan were reminiscing uh, about this building, and uh, it's, it's really cool to think about several things that are at play here right now. And uh, how many of you remember that story? This is, uh, I think it used to be a game show or something called This Is Your Life or something like that. So Wes, just freeze right there. And uh, yeah, you can, thank you. We appreciate the box play over here. But anyway, I was thinking about Wesley, uh, this room, me, is so special to him and getting his start and everything. And, and some people, you know, we're not here for Wesley. We're here for Jesus. You need to remember, remember that. But um, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting that, that Wesley's uh, grandparents come. Uh, his parents are always here. All of them are very active in our church. But not only that, I was thinking about who's in the room. Ann Wise, Miss Ann, wave your hand back there. She taught Wesley music. As a child, when he was a child, he got his first opportunity to lead worship with Eric and Teresa, who are here with us, and uh, the first opportunity to worship, and then, of course, we gave him the opportunity here to lead Catalyst many years ago, and so this room is full of your life. You can leave now. Okay, all right. So. <laughs> But I do. I, I love the fact this is so cozy. I feel like there needs to be a fire in the middle of the stage, don't y'all, the way everything's gone so far. But thank y'all for being patient with us and coming over here with us. I kind of like this atmosphere, to be honest with you. The hole in the wall, that, that's, but anyway, we're glad you got to join us because we put a hole in the wall. But anyway, we are so glad you're able to be here with us. Well, I think many of you realize what this weekend means uh, to our nation uh, when we talk about the 4th of July and the, the, uh, the love of our country and the fact that we have these freedoms, and, and it's something that should be celebrated. And, and so what I want to do right now is I want us to take time before we jump into the message this morning to just pray for our country right now. And uh, we're, we're definitely not a country that has a perfect past, or, uh, but the reason for that is we're not made up of perfect people either, are we? And, and so we need to remember that when we think about our country and the different things that lie ahead. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and just lift up our nation right now. Father, we just come to you now, and, and Lord, we know there's nothing hidden from you when it comes to us as a people, as a nation. Father, we do pray, and uh, Lord, we've uh, many times, at least from this church, we've, we've lifted up those shortcomings, Father, that we have as a nation. But Father, we also know that we're a very blessed nation, Father. And Lord, there's times we don't understand your grace and your mercy, even in the midst of certain things that we know. Uh, but Father, we also know that you have blessed us as a people. You've given us liberties and freedoms like uh, many have never seen before. And Father, I just pray right now for our nation, Lord. We lift up our leaders, Lord, those who have been called to, to lead our nation, Father. Your word says to pray for those leaders, and we lift them up to you, Father. We pray for wisdom and discernment, Father, uh, uh, that namely comes from your truth and your word. Father, we know that there's so many things that seem to be hanging out there. But, Father, we do pray for a move of your Holy Spirit upon this nation, Father. We know it won't come from uh, the executive branch or legislative branch or the judicial branch, Father. A revival, a move of your spirit will only come with you revealing yourself and unveiling yourself before the people of this nation. And then and only then will it come when we truly get on our face before you and seek you with our whole hearts. Father, I do pray for our nation. I thank you for the freedoms we have. But Father, we also pray for revival, that you would go forth, Lord, that you would be high and lifted up in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, if you have a Bible, I hope you will, or something to look at God's Word. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're continuing our sermon series, and this week, actually, we're doing a part two the last week because the text uh, kind of works together when you begin to look at it as we go verse by verse through the book of uh, Colossians. Last week, if you think about it, we looked at the idea that Jesus is who he said he is. He is who he says he is. Today, what we're going to be looking at, the verses that precede what we discussed last week, is Jesus did what he said he would do. And so when we look at these things and we see Paul, who, who's put a pen to the words that we're reading about here today and what we're studying, one thing we need to realize is the Holy Spirit was in charge of editing and writing the words we see here. And so we believe that as a church family. And so when we come together to read the words, no matter if Paul wrote it or Luke wrote it or whomever, we're reading the words of God. And this is what's being presented to us. So now here's what I want you to think about. Who Jesus is and what he did are essential when attempting to establish a biblical worldview. I think so many people who, who identify or say, I, I'm a Christian, they would say that, but many have no clue as to what that really means when it comes to the worldview. And of course, we know a worldview is the lens in which we look at the world. The, the way we make decisions are built upon our worldview. How we see things are built on a worldview. So it's vital that we understand that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he did. Now, the Christian life, when you really think about it, the life we're called to live, it only works when you come to understanding of who Jesus is and what he did on our behalf. So I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to look at verse 9. It says, For this reason we also, since this day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with what? The knowledge of of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, truly pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We, we are challenged here by the words of Paul, who basically said, if I have a prayer for you, it's this right here, verses 9 and 10. This is my prayer for you, that you not be blown away by the wind of doctrine that's false, contrary to God's word, but you would come to fully understand who Jesus is, what the will of God through the Father is, through Jesus, and that you would come to that sense of knowing him. So that's his prayer. And then he talks about what that looks like. But look at the introduction. When you come to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have in him everything necessary to be restored to him and have eternal life in heaven. It comes by way of Jesus. Now, this is not on your outline, but it's here on the screen, and I have a handout back there. You can do your own personal Bible study with what I'm about to give you. But I want to point out some things. I don't have time to go into depth about these things, but it's important that we see these things before we jump into the text this morning. So here are some descriptions of Jesus' salvation. So if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this is what your salvation contains. First of all, there's the idea of substitution. He died in your place. He died in your place. The Bible literally says he was made sin for you. Think about that. Someone who is holy, never been touched by imperfection, never been defiled, 
All of a sudden, our sin is placed upon him. So he was made sin for us. He took on your sin in his body on the cross. He was tortured literally for your sin. That's what we find. So he substituted what we should have been, what we should have done. He did it on our behalf. Second of all, there's the idea of justification. His death, according to Romans, made you right with God when you come to know him. Next, there's the idea of adoption. He literally, his death purchased your salvation with his blood. Your salvation came by way of Jesus. Propitiation, his death satisfied God's wrath that was against you. Think about that. God's wrath was going to come upon you apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And we see that here. There's the idea of forgiveness. His death allowed you to be forgiven by a holy God. Reconciliation, this is really the topic of what we're looking at now. His death made peace with God possible for you. That's what Jesus' death did. And really, when you think about it, the cross is central to reconciliation. It means, literally, think about this, that the alienated is to be made intimate. We can become intimate in him. So the Bible says, we who were enemies of God are now reconciled. Now, why in the world would we need to be reconciled? I've discussed this with you previously, but in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered the world, man and God had an intimate relationship, but then sin entered the picture. The Bible says that Adam and Eve turned their back on God. They they chose something other than the obedience and surrender to God. They chose something else. As a result, they became hostile to God, and the Bible literally says at that moment, mankind became an enemy of God. So think about this. Sin came between God and man, but then God reached out to us, even though we were in our sin. And so today, we're going to be looking at how did God reach out to us? Paul says he reached out to us. How did he do it? Now, let me just say this. Let me go back to where we are as a nation. Our nation, and I think we all would agree with this, is made up of fallen people. How many of you agree with that? Okay. We, we go into making up the nation. We're a small part of it, but we're fallen people. This nation has never been, is not now, nor ever will be a perfect nation. It's not possible. It's made up of fallen people. Going to make bonehead decisions. There's things that's going to happen we don't understand. There's all these different complexities to, to government. And the reason for it is government, when you think about it, it may restrain evil, but it really can't fix anything. I'm just going to be honest with you. It can't fix the greatest need that we have. It can come alongside. It, it, God has ordained government to do certain things, but it won't be an end-all decision because it's man-made. It's man-made. So, so when I begin to think, I don't know about you, but there's so many things out there in our world right now that's trying to influence our way of thinking. How many of you have noticed that? There's this thing, there's this thing, there's this thing. And you begin to sit there and you wonder, and I don't know about you, but I'm a pastor. I know God's word. I, I've got a lot of training when it comes to his word. I know what a Christian worldview looks like. But I'm here to tell you sometimes when I look at everything, sometimes it's hard to know how should I feel about certain things. And then here's how I fix it. I throw out what one side says. I consider what one side says. 
And then I have, I consider what the other side says. But my worldview does not come from what this side says and this side says. My worldview comes from the Bible. And the Bible says we're imperfect people. The government will never be the, the, the will never meet the need, the full uh, eternal needs that we have of human beings. It, it can't do it. It won't do it. And by the way, it will never be perfect. But what can we do? We can do our best. We can do our best. So, so here's what I want to ask you. If government is not perfect, which we know it's not, we must concede the fact that we're not perfect either, right? Are there times when we begin to, to walk with Jesus and his presence is real to us and we are desirous to please him, but yet the flesh enters in? Have you had that experience? Can it happen to a nation of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has. And the thing, I'm about to fall down. I, I promise I'm, I'm stable here. I'm not used to this carpet up here. But anyway. But the fact is, when those times come, we got to be ready for repentance. We, we, when it comes to, to government, we need a govern, government that fights against wickedness. We need a government that raises up justice. But we got to remember it won't always have all the answers. It's not capable of creating, listen, a perfect utopia for us to live in. It's not capable. And we need to understand it. So what do we do? What do we do as a people of God living in a nation that provides us freedoms and opportunities probably no nation has ever afforded others when, it come, when you really think about it in its complexities? Here, here's what we need to understand. Here, here's my prayer. My worldview is that the only hope for our nation is for God to intervene, is for there to be a move of God among the people that are in this nation. And so when you say, well, where's our worldview? Here it is right here. In a nutshell, our only hope is God. Our only hope is God. And so when we begin to look at it from a national way, the thing that we need to understand is that just as God would reach out to a nation to bring it to a point of repentance possibly or a point of a worldview and how it was seen, the same thing's going on with us as individuals. And by the way, if, it's gonna, if he's going to touch the nation, he's got to touch individuals. What would that look like? It's what Paul is actually saying here. And so, number one, the price Jesus paid. We, we need to understand for reconcili reconciliation to take place, for us to move beyond where we find ourselves, we got to understand what Jesus did on our behalf. And the first thing that we see here in the text is he suffered with real blood. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 1. I want you to back up to verse 19. It says, For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. He's talking about the, the whole idea of the deity, of the powers of God, everything that comes with no limitations is all resting on Jesus. And by him, this is Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. Now, what does that say? All things. That's a big all. <laughs> all things to himself. By him. It's going to happen by him. That literally means it's, our only hope is it coming through him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through how? The blood of his cross. Now, now according to God in his plan, there was only one ingredient that would, pay, that would fix our situation. 
that would pay for our sin. And here it is, the blood of Jesus. That is the only thing that can make us right before God. A lot of people in our day and time would say that's pretty uh, bigoted of you to think that or how dare you force that point of view forward. Let me, let me tell you, the message of reconciliation is a message of love. How do you turn against grace and mercy that's been extended to you and the love that comes from the motivation to even do it? How does that even happen? When God said the ingredient that is necessary for those who are fallen to be made right before me is by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. So the Bible records that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So if there's no forgiveness of sin, we're still in our sin. Now, an eternal principle in the universe is this. That blood must be shed. So in Revelation 1, 5, it says, Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our sin, how? In his own blood. Jesus' blood paid our sin debt. His death through his body and the shedding of his blood reconciled us to God. He made our relationship with God. He gave it the, the potential to be right again. Now, let me just say this. Adam and Eve were created right with God. They fail. We were never right with God until Jesus showed up. You, you got to understand, there's a difference. Adam and Eve started in perfection. They started there. Some people say, I don't know about perfection. They were capable of falling. Well, that's a matter of theology and all that. We won't get into that. But the point is, they started there, they fell, and they left to us a fallen nation, I mean, a fallen uh, nature and a fallen nation. I guess that goes with it too. But the point is, things are not right. And the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can make it right. Next, he suffered with real blood. He suffered in a real body. Matter of fact, you, you wouldn't believe this, but that was debatable in the first century. 2,000 years later, it's still debated, believe it or not. But yet, here's what we find. The second part of verse 21. Yet now he has reconciled, verse part of, first part of 22, in the body of what? His flesh through death. Think of the phrase, body of his flesh. Jesus suffered in a body for us. In this act, Jesus made it possible, as I said before, to be reconciled. Now, if we were to say, okay... He was God. I mean, let's face it. Did he really suffer? Yeah, he suffered. You say, well, give me some evidence that he suffered. He, think about what the night before the cross was all about. Garden of Gethsemane. Look at the pain. Look at the anguish. When you read that account, that's all you can come away with. The pain and the anguish that Jesus was about to face there on the very next day. And we see that. I mean, it's so obvious it was there. This pain, this suffering was real. In that day, there were false teacher, teachers. Uh, some were known as Gnostics, and they believed this. They didn't really believe that Jesus was a real person. They accepted a lot about who Jesus was, but they didn't think he was a real person. They believed he was just a spirit. They literally believed, I want you to think about this, that when he walked... He never left a footprint. That's what they believed. Because they believed nothing good, inherently good of itself can come except in a spirit form. 
they didn't give him the credibility of being human. So he was not physically real. But yet, Jesus, but Paul said this, Jesus died in the body of his flesh. 1 Peter 2 says this, Jesus bore our sins. How did he bear them? In his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live. It's important that we understand a true and accurate picture of what Jesus did on our behalf. So when Jesus suffered on that cross, it was a physical suffering. The nails, the beatings, the the blows to his face, the spear to his side, the crown of thorns. John the Baptist even said, he saw him coming over the hillside as Jesus was about to be baptized. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what was he referring to? He was basically saying, here is the sacrifice. A sacrifice, according to the economy of God, must be put to death. And that's who Jesus is. John announces him as that. So what does all that afford us? Here it is. The peace Jesus made, number one, is a universal peace. Now, this is what most people don't see in this text here. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, And by him, this is Jesus again, to reconcile what? All things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things even in heaven. That means what Jesus' work did on the cross through his resurrection sealed a better deal for both heaven and, he- heaven and earth. And earth, the full realization, this is what this is saying, the full realization of what Jesus did on the cross hasn't even been realized yet. Are y'all aware of that? It's still coming. It's still coming. And so there's an interesting phrase here, as I said before, reconcile all things to himself. When sin entered the world, here's what we need to think about. All things were affected. You know that, right? We find it here. All things were affected. Everything was touched. So the whole universe was affected by sin. When Jesus paid the price, he made it possible for peace to be restored to all creation. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible, but I love what they did with this same verse. Look at verse 20 here on the screen from the message. It says, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Think about that. That's the part we don't talk about a lot. But it's it's all through Scripture. He he not only died to reconcile us, he died to put everything back in order. I want you to think about that. That's powerful when you think about it. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 8. Look here on the screen. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, why would that be important? Because when we, as the children of God, when we show up with him, what we find in the book of Revelation, he's coming to make all things right. So when they see him and they see us, the creation is going to get excited. The turmoil of creation. For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Think about it. The sin of Adam and Eve touched all creation. Creation has been affected by this. Because the creation itself 
also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberties of the children of God. Not only is this going to provide a way for those who know Jesus, it's going to provide for all creation. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. So, so what's being affected? What, what could this be? How many of you have seen the fierceness of the weather? I don't know about you. Maybe I'm sick. I don't know. But I love a thunderstorm. I do. Now, I, maybe there's someone here who's been struck by lightning. I don't know. But I'm guessing you're not a fan. And I, if I get it, okay? But you're here, right? I mean, no, I'm just, no. But I do. I don't know what it is. But I love to see the clouds. I love to see it. I had a grandmother. How many of you uh, just appreciate the way people thought many years ago? My grandmother. Now, this could have been a ploy to get us to shut up and sit down. I don't know. But anytime a storm came up, me and my sisters, we, we could be rowdy at, the time, at times. She would say, okay, everybody sit down. God's getting ready to do some work. <laughs> and we had to literally sit on the couch and listen to the storm. You'd think I wouldn't like it, but I still love it. I still love it. I love to see the storm clouds. I love to be at the beach. Now, you people are wise. Let me tell you why. It's 4th of July weekend. You wouldn't catch me dead at the beach. That's the reason I'm here with you. I don't want to be around all those people. When they come home, guess what? I'm going to go to the beach. <laughs> don't you love it? Don't you love that? I mean, we played that one pretty smart, didn't we? But anyway, he, 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 here's the deal. When I'm at the beach, I love to see that storm just kind of roll in. You've been on the beach. You've been having a good time. Went and got a good meal. Had to loosen your pants up a little bit. Sitting on the back porch. And the storm rolls in. That's a beautiful day, isn't it? Beautiful day. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. You must be mountain people, okay? But anyway, <laughs> so, so we see it in the fierceness of the weather, but also the cruelty of the animal kingdom. How many of you watch Discovery Channel on Animal Planet, and you see it, and you're, you're praying for that gazelle to make it? You know, the lionesses are coming. The, have you noticed how the lion, that rascal, doesn't do anything? He just sits there. Them poor women lions, you know, they, they have to, they're not women, are they? But anyway, the female lions, they, they have to go after the catch and all that. But I want you to think about it. The cruelty that you see there, how many of you sit there and you think, oh, this is tough. Now, I'm, not, I'm not a PETA person. I'm not, a, one of, I'm not into that or anything. I, I believe the animal kingdom's here for But let me say this. Doesn't your heart go out to the little gazelle? Does it not? It does every time for me. I saw one one time. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, we know how this is going to end. Linuses start taking off. The gazelle's running. That rascal got away. I was sitting there. Yes, finally. They put that on there, you know? But it always ends how? In tragedy, doesn't it? At least from the gazelle's point of view. The lion, he's pretty content, right? But think about the fierceness of that. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. It's worth looking at. If you don't know this verse, it's worth looking at. Okay, or these verses. So turn there. As you turn there, listen to this. There will be a day when the universe will be restored to its original harmony. I find it amazing that Paul tucks that whole thought right here in Colossians chapter 1. That we're not only going to be reconciled. The universe is going to be reconciled. Then he talks more about it in Romans chapter 8 and how the universe longs and groans for that to take place. And then you come to Revelation chapter 21 and it tells you what it's going to be like. 
And I want to read you a little snippet of it. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Paul, John, the writer, saw, here's what he's saying. It's, the revelation has been given to John. Here's what he says. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. How many of you are already excited? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Can you get a, that's a hallelujah right there, okay? All right. And there was no more sea. Now, how many of you almost didn't put that in there because I was like, I don't really want to talk about what that, good night. But there's something there. The sea, think about the, when this was written in the first century. The sea was a place, one of the worst places you could be because it was so unpredictable. How many of you know the sea is unpredictable? Yeah, the sea is unpredictable. It's a place of desperate fear. Not so much for us 2,000 years later, but it was for them. It, they didn't have these meteorologists. They didn't know what was coming the next moment while on the open sea. They didn't understand all that. And yet John, he's sitting there and he's like, and, and there's nothing there that's unpredictable anymore. There's nothing of creation that fear will bring in. Then I saw, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down uh, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Let me tell you why that's so special. It's because every time you read in, in, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, the city, think about this, a fallen world, the city never represents anything good. How many of you have noticed that reading the Old Testament? Lot had to get out of what? Sodom and Gomorrah, the city. All the, all the wickedness seems to come to the city, right? That's the reason we don't live in Charlotte, right? We live in Shelby, right? So, <laughs> but, but it seems to rest in the city, and yet we see a city that is pure and holy coming down. That shows you the extent of how it's been reconciled. It's a beautiful picture. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from, from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. That means there's going to be no mistake. God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's what we know. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said this, Behold, I make all things new, a whole new reality. And he said to me, Write, for these words are both true and faithful. You can count on this. It's going to happen. So when you read about, and, and here's what I love about what Paul did here. He not only talks about the fact we can be restored even in a fallen world. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been restored unto God even though you still exist in a fallen world. What Paul's, what Paul's saying is you need to get excited because one day the reality of your existence will be that you will not only be reconciled to God made right, you're going to live in a world that's been reconciled to God, that's been made right. That's good when you think about it. That's what he's saying here. We see it so clearly. So it brings up the question. Does this mean that everyone will be saved eventually? Well, there are some people out there that say that, but the Bible I read doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that. It means those. So how does salvation come about then? He tells us right here. Number one, through subjection. Through subjection. How do we know that? How do we know it's so clear? In Philippians chapter 2, 
okay? If you were to say, okay, give me, remember a couple weeks ago, I gave you the, the format of how we see Jesus, and it's found predominantly in several locations in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to say, give me a good picture of who Jesus truly is, Philippians chapter 2 gives you that. I want to read a couple verses from there. It says, therefore God also exalted him, this is Jesus again, giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of whom? Jesus, every knee should bow of those things in heaven, those things on earth, and those things under the earth. The under the earth part is represent, eventually, even that's going to happen. When he reconciles everything, he's going to subdue everything under his authority. Right now, he's sovereign over it, but everything's not under his authority. How many of you can look around and see that? And so one day, he's going to bring everything. Right now, we're under his authority because we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That reconciliation is taking place in us. But one day, he's going to bring it all under subjection. And let me just tell you this. Based on the authority of, word of, God, of the Word of God, you better subject here and not later. Because later, you'll be made to. Here, you give yourself over to it. And so salvation comes through subjection, but not only that, salvation comes through conversion. Look at verse uh, uh, 20 again. By him and by him to reconcile all things to himself by whether things on earth or things in heaven. There's no mention here of anything under the earth. All will not be saved. Only those who've come to know Jesus and believing through repentance. Next, not only universal peace, but also personal peace. Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled. Paul is talking about saved. Those who've been reconciled. You're no longer alienated. Number one, in attitude. You're not alienated in attitude. You see where you once were, and you've come to realize that made you an enemy of God. It literally means before you came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you were working against God. Now you're working with God. And that's the beautiful picture here. Secondly, in action. He's talking about our wicked works. It's very clear. But then we come to this. When Jesus hung on the cross, listen to this. He was not made a sinner. He was made sin. Think about that. He will never be identified as sinner. But he was made sin on our behalf. Real quick, hold your place here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're about to close, so don't worry about the rest of the outline, okay? I know you're fretting, okay? When we fail, fail as human beings, God immediately had a restoration plan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, many of you know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you've come to Christ on the terms which God has set forth. You find yourself in him, okay? He is a new creation. She is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. That reality is no longer there. What you once were is no longer there, okay? Behold, all things have become new. Now, does that mean now I'm this perfect work of reconciliation and I'm perfected in every way? No, every one of you proved it this past week you're not perfected yet, right? Bad attitudes, okay? If any of you drove this week, you had a bad attitude at some point. 
okay? All right? So, so, so we've got this thing going on. And, and so he's saying, but here's, here's our new reality. There's a new reality, and this is what I call it, in our want-tos. How many of you, even when you fail, deep down you really wanted to do better? How many of you, it affects you when you sin now than it did before? The Holy Spirit of God, something that is holy, is now a part of your new reality. And if that's not awakened in you when we fail miserably, you need to see if any of this even took place. Because it says there will be a new reality. For me, you know how I would describe the new reality? And I hate to say it this way, but I'm in the flesh just like you are. There's, there's a turmoil that takes place. Turmoil. There's, there's, there's conviction. There's something that's going on here that's new until one day I'm completed in my reconciliation. But right now, that's where I am. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ has given us also the ministry of reconciliation. Now we can take what we have and bring it to others. And he says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You would have been included. Not imputing their trespasses against us. How many of you are glad you don't have to pay for your sins? How many of you got a pretty hefty list? Any takers on? No, just me. Okay, thank you for the hand. But anyway, it's there. We're, we're all there. And he's, a, he's has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be what? To be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of him in Christ. So here it is. I'm going to close with this. Where are you right now? Your reconciliation has not been perfected yet. But one day it will be. So where do you stand right now in your heart? Where are you? Eternity, let me just say this. Eternity rides on where you are right now. Do you know him? Do you know him? We're not going to have a, a, a song after this. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed. I kind of went a little over. Didn't even finish. That's not good. But anyway, I, I just want you to know that what I read in Scripture is God pleading with us to be reconciled by way of Jesus. He wants us to be right before him. It's his desire. It's his desire. So my, my thing, here's what I want you to leave with. If you're not exactly sure about where you stand with God today, see me. See one of the pastors who's been here on stage. Don't leave here today. Email me this week if you, if you, do, you need to do something about it. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for who you are and what you represent in our lives. And, Father, we thank you that we don't have to guess who Jesus is. It's all right there in your word. We don't have to guess what he was really up to. It's right there in your word. And if we will be faithful to understand the reality of what you've done on our behalf through Jesus, Father, help us to be one of those things where we could never turn away from such a great love of, and great act of grace and mercy on our behalf. 
Father, if there's someone here today that's not sure where they stand before you, I pray, Lord, that either today or sometime this week they would contact one of us to, that we can talk about that because their eternity depends on it. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Y'all, thank you for being here this morning. You're dismissed. Thank you. <clears throat>